I'm milling about with Lori Kay, and she's the author of Confessions of a Rock and Roll Name Dropper, my life leading up to John Lennon's last interview. Hi, Lori. Hi, Robin. So good to see you. So now we have a little confession to make right up at the bat. We know each other. Yes, we work together. Yes, we did. And what was it? I was trying to remember. Was it the early 90s? It was the very early 90s for the BMG music video, uh, music related videos, I should say. Yeah, I think I like lived in Harlem, I feel like that whole time. Wow. <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun those days. But before we get into the big reveal about this book and why you wrote it, being John Lennon's last interview. I feel like your life is a succession of what ifs and sort of like foreshadowing so much of it. Well, the book is my memoir. It's not a bio. It's my memoir, the story of my early rock radio related life and career wrapped around what tragically turned out to be John Lennon's last day on the planet which was December 8th, 1980, the day that I spent with him and Yoko at the Dakota and my RKO team. And sadly, after that interview, within a few hours, he was shot and killed. So it became the last interview he ever did, which made it go from the best day of my life to the worst day of my life. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine that was probably like formed the rest of your life in many ways and and the way you conducted yourself personally, I would say in your life must have. Absolutely. Because not only was I horrified and just felt so awful inside, but I felt guilty too, because we were there. That was the reason they were there that day and a number of other reasons. So Yeah, it's just a very, very sad day of my life, as much as I loved the interview. Yeah, and I I like the fact that you do not mention his killer by name. I think you I think you call him beyond being a creepy character or something to that effect. Yes, I use a lot of cuss words to describe him when I have to, but I never use his name. I never print his name, write his name, or say his name ever. Yeah, yeah. And that's um to be commended because you don't want to, you know, make him the focus of John Lennon's life. Absolutely. So let's start with the beginning of your life. As I was reading the book, um, I loved I loved your stories about how you first broke into radio. Now, I've always felt that you had the voice of death, you know, your your beautiful velvety voice. So talk about that. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that I had a great radio voice until I was in high school. And I as I tell this story in my book, I happened to win tickets on KMET FM radio 
and uh, to the Rolling Stones Nicaragua benefit. So not only was I so excited when my friend took me to the station to pick up the tickets, but when the disc jockey who was going to give them to me asked me to come to, into his DJ booth and thank him on the air, that sort of thing. I, I ran in, I was excited and I told him my name and he asked my age and a couple other questions. And he looked at me and he said, with your voice, you should be on the radio. That should be your career. And I immediately thought, wow, somebody is telling me what to do. And thank God I was eventually able to. Yeah. And I find like we have a lot of sort of similar paths in our career. I was actually the last person to interview Jerry Garcia before he died, but not as tragic. I, I did interview Bob Weir, though. Right. And told Bob Weir the story about running into Jerry. Yes, which is all in the book. And Grateful Dead fans will uh, either laugh or be upset. I'm not sure. <laughs> so what happened when you met Jerry? Well, first of all, I was more than not a Grateful Dead fan. I was a Grateful Dead non-fan, I guess is the best way to put it. And I was at a concert, Iggy Pop concert, um, with a friend of mine, a date of mine in San Francisco. And it was a small place and, and it was our first time seeing Iggy Pop. So we were really excited to be so close to the stage and I was so into the punk and everything. It was thrilling. And all of a sudden, this creepy, big, heavy guy came up to me and was bugging me and kept saying, what do you care about punk? What are you doing here? What's the big deal? And just kept bugging me. And I told him to get lost. And the date that I was with said, Lori, don't you know who that guy is? And I said, no, and I don't care. He's driving me crazy. And he said, well, look at his hand. And I looked at his hand and all I saw was that there was part of a finger missing and it didn't mean anything to me. And I turned back to my date and he said, Lori, that's Jerry Garcia. And I went, oh, and I thought, geez, well, I better apologize because I was very rude to him and insulted him, called him names. And I turned to do that and, uh, he had walked away. He was upset and he left. And this was after asking me if I would want to come back stage with him. And I looked at him and I said, oh, who are you? Somebody's grandfather and uh, more nasty things. And uh, he disappeared. And unfortunately, I never got the chance to apologize to Jerry Garcia. But when I did interview Bob Weir years later for Rock Magazine, he laughed at the story. He didn't think it was so horrible. But you did have a very memorable meeting with Paul McCartney. Um, I love that you had shandies together, if if anybody knows what those are. Paul and Linda and the rest of Wings and I and uh, my RKO team, Dave Sholin and Ron Hummel, all smoked pot together. And if somebody had told me as a little kid watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, that one day I would be doing drugs with Paul McCartney, I would have been thrilled. I would have jumped up and down and fainted because it was such a personal thing. And, and actually, it was just a wonderful interview anyway. So I was happy to be there in London. Uh, he's amazing, amazing. I, I also met all the Beatles except for John, unfortunately. Oh, sorry. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so leading up to your interview with John Lennon, what, what was sort of your research, you know, because in our field, we do a lot of research and then we kind of forget about it because we want to sound kind of conversational. Well, I had done a lot of research on the Beatles because I'd written the RKO special RKO presents the Beatles, which was the longest Beatles special that ever aired on radio in the United States. It was 14 hours. And then when it was syndicated and we got to change the name to the title that I had come up with, um, the Beatles from Liverpool to Le- Le- the Beatles from Liverpool to Legend, uh, it went up from 15 hours then to 17 hours, which was great. So I had to do a lot of research because I'm I'm not an expert really with Beatles, like a lot of the authors who write their bios are. Um, So I learned a lot about them and I knew what I wanted to ask, but we were told right off the bat, no, you don't talk to John Lennon about the Beatles. This is an interview about double fantasy, about his life right now, not the past, not the Fab Four. So I immediately thought to myself, well, that'll make something easier. That's for sure. And the cool thing was, is that John brought up Paul McCartney and the Beatles. And of his course family. he did. So there you go. Yeah. What was really eerie in the book, Lori, is that you talk about Yoko Ono sort of vetting you. Yes. Well, actually, it was her astrologer who um, called us all beforehand, all of us RKO team members, and uh, Bert Keen from um, Geffen Warner Brothers, and uh, asked us our birth dates and our time of birth and a couple other questions and used that information to determine what would be the best day to meet up with us. And that particular day, John and Yoko had planned to be on the West Coast and in Hawaii, but changed their plans due to all of our our birth times and dates. And that's one reason that I felt extremely guilty all of these years. Oh, yeah. It's, it's such a fateful experience. You know, it's mind boggling to even go through that. Truly. And, and that's one reason why after John was shot and killed And I wrote the special that was originally supposed to be a Valentine's Day special for RKO. I had to write it instead within 48 hours so it could air six days after he was shot and killed. It was called John Lennon, The Man, The Memory, another title I came up with. And of course, I dedicated it to Yoko. Yes, you did. You also um, talk about how he signed Yoko's book, The Grapefruit. Well, they were both so thrilled that I showed up, not just with a present for Sean, a wind-up fire-breathing dragon that they both (laughs) loved and said they probably wouldn't give him because they loved it so much themselves they wanted to play with it all the time. But I also brought my copy of Grapefruit, which I had bought um, in Berkeley years before. And I was so excited at the thought of gee, maybe Yoko will autograph it for me. And not only did Yoko autograph it for me, but John begged me to let him autograph it too. Because as he said, I wrote the introduction. And then of course he told me that that book was the reason that he came up with Imagine because he basically took that idea from Yoko and he should have credited her with co-writing the song. 
Wow. Wow. You basically a lot in common with him too, in a weird way, right? You, you found. <laughs> I did. And that was just one reason why I wanted to be friends for the rest of my life with John and Yoko both. Um, not only had John and I both had family issues, upbringing issues, um, but also we both had been to and loved the island of Bali and told all of our friends about it. And we came up with a lot of very common um, likes and dislikes about um, things, art, everything. And he was just so complimentary and validating when it came to the questions I was asking and the comments I was making. And it was incredible. I had an incredible time with him. So now let's talk about mom, uh, the way you describe her in the book. Uh, She was less than loving. uh, And if I may be so bold to say that. So did she ever acknowledge your career? Did she ever, I mean, did she ever say, wow, you did a good job, give you a pat on the back? Very late in her life, when people she met seemed very excited about what her daughter had done over the years, she did get somewhat complimentary. But while I was not just in school as an advanced placement student and all of that, um, but even when I got to college and was writing a lot of of articles that appeared on the front page of UC Berkeley's paper, that sort of thing, Um, and then got an internship at a radio station that led to a job almost immediately as news editor and started to go on air and as a newscaster and write RKO radio specials. No, she really didn't acknowledge me. Mm. It just wasn't her thing. So you do talk in the book about sort of how music saved your life in many ways. Yes, because early on, very early on, from a toddler on, I realized that I was being raised by a difficult and dysfunctional family. And what helped me a lot was having the ability to listen to music instead of worrying about talking to my mother or trying to be with her because she was single and she didn't want to be with me. I was something that took up her time too much. And my grandparents both worked. They had a jewelry store, so they didn't really have all that much time for me, more than she did. But still, what I wanted to do was have a transistor radio from a very early age on, which I ended up sleeping with every night with plugs in my ears, listening to Top 40 radio and great music all along. Everybody from... Elvis Presley to Little Richard to the Beach Boys and then wow the Beatles and you know it just went on from there and when I finally graduated years later from the transistor radio and was able to buy my own stereo system for my bedroom that was amazing that was that's what kept me going throughout my dysfunctional family life. Obviously, John Lennon was not your first interview. Who was your very first interview? What do you remember about it? 
Who was my first interview? That's a good question. I'm not sure I could tell you that. I don't <laughs> know. There have been so many over the years that I couldn't tell you who my first interview was. I know that when I was first started writing and co-producing uh, RKO Presents the Beatles, I interviewed a lot of people within the Beatles who were still in England. Um, and uh, and that was probably my first music-related interview. But I had done a lot of newsroom-related interviews before then, politicians and newscasters, other newscasters as well. So I guess those would be my first. I like to have a personal attachment to who I'm interviewing. And I like to feel that they'll know me once they talk to me. And so when I interviewed a lot of authors, for example, that's exactly what happened. Like interviewing George Martin, Beatles producer, when his book came out, All You Need Is Ears. I felt like I'd made a friend. He was incredible. And he left such a beautiful autograph in the book that I had for me that um, that's exactly how I felt. So it's so sad, of course, that he's passed away. But it was wonderful to hear his stories about the Beatles and meeting up with them for the first time. So now when you listen to your conversation with John Lennon, what goes through your mind? What do you think about? I can't help but think about the tragedy that happened at the end of the day all the way through our conversation when I listened to it. And I love listening to my questions. I love listening to John tell me, oh, exactly, or yes, love, you know, that sort of thing. And I remember how he looked at me. He, of course, was wearing his very obvious round John Lennon glasses. And when he really cared for something I said or a point that I made, he would shove them down his nose and look at me over his nose and say, yes, love. And I've just never felt so validated in my entire life. Oh, how gorgeous. Now you did the audio book. Uh, were, were there passages from the radio interview in the audio book? Well, yes, I've added a number of interview bites, not just with John and with Yoko and Paul and George, but other great interviews that I've done that I loved. Ramones, Talking Heads. Um, it was just so cool to be able to do that. And, you know, it was it was fun. As you know, when we worked together, we both did a lot of interviews and it was different type of music, but still something I've always loved doing. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of rock stars over the course of my life too. And I have to tell you, reading your book, I said to my husband, I've got to write my memoirs. <laughs> well, it took me a long time to write my memoir, you know, almost 40 years before I could start writing, not just because of how long it takes and how hard it is to remember all kinds of things when you're not a, a diary, a daily diary writer, which I'm not. Um, but also because it was just so very sad for me to think of so much of it, not just the tragedy, John Lennon's interview outcome, but growing up and how hard that was and dealing with that. And so it was tough for me to finally be able to write because 
COVID happened and my TV production work came to a close. And so I had time. So that's basically what made it happen. Also, the fact that my mother had passed away several years before that, and I didn't want to write my memoir while she was still alive. Not that I thought she would read it, but people she know might, knew might read it, and it might embarrass and upset her, which I didn't want to do. Mm. So in a way, Lori, would you say that this whole process was very cathartic for you? Yes, definitely cathartic, but also difficult and also encouraging. Made me think, gee, how much I loved print writing, how how long it had been and how I can't wait to do the next book, you know, whatever that's going to be. Oh, yeah. So do you have a, some other books in mind? Well, people have asked me, are you going to write continuation memoir? Because this was just your early life. So that's a thought, definitely. Cover the time that we worked together and met. Um, And uh, then there's also books about types of music that I might be interested in writing, too. I honestly don't know. It's going to be a while. It's not going to happen tomorrow. That's for sure. Well, hopefully it won't be another 40 years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting because you sort of took my 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 last question. Aside from the curiosity of people wanting to know about John Lennon's last interview, what else is it about this book that you would think is a universal thing that people would be interested in? Well, if they're music lovers, then they'll be interested in my life which contains a lot of sex and drugs and rock and roll. Yes, it does. So was this always the title? Or did you go through a series of titles? Well, when it came to writing it, I realized that if I had a title, that was going to help me write it because it would point me in the right direction. So I basically sat for about five minutes and thought, hmm, what what am I going to talk about? Well, I'm going to be doing a lot of confessions and hell yeah, I'm a rock and roll name dropper and it's my life wrapped around John Lennon's last interview. So that's where the title came from. Well, it works. Laurie Kay, thank you so much. It was so much fun talking to you and I love the book. I already told everybody I know about it. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm so happy to hear that. That that thrills me. And it's been such a pleasure talking to you again. Always news. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.